0: Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of Therapized. My name is Dr. Lolita and I'm really excited about this episode because we get to just straight away deep dive. It's a conversation with someone called Tasha Bailey who is the author of a book called Real Talk and if you can see the video this is what the book looks like and as you can see I've made loads of notes which we'll be going over today. Tasha is amazing she knows how to just take people straight into their shadow self their inner child and understand certain patterns that are coming up so join us in this conversation to really deep dive and understand why we show up the way that we do talking about trauma talking about the inner child join us now Hi, Tasha. Thanks for coming to Therapize. I appreciate you making the time and the space to be here. No problem. Thank you for asking me for being here. Like This is really lovely. I can't wait for our conversation because I know it's going to be a deep dive and we're going to go straight into really quality and meaningful conversation about real life and often topics that we don't really get to discuss every day. Um, so first of all, I have your book in front of me, Real Talk. And I think it's such a beautiful book. It's got everything in there. If you ever feel looking to start therapy, if you're wanting to understand the process of therapy, it's all in this book. So my first question, Tasha, is what made you want to write this book,
1: Real Talk? Oh, gosh, so much. Um, I think, so the idea of Real Talk is that a lot of the time, um, you know, mental health, wellness, probably only just now we're starting to talk about it more openly. But I grew up in a time where most of us didn't talk about our mental health or didn't talk about what mental health actually meant or what therapy is. Um, and we ended up hiding, up hiding a lot of ourselves. You know, mm-hmm. it's a typical thing of when people say, how are you? And a lot of us don't actually say how we really are. We usually say, I'm fine, I'm OK, but that's not the real answer. Yeah. So real talk is about having real conversations with yourself so that you can have real conversations in the rest of your in the rest of your life, and have a better journey with self love and with healing. Um, so I've always wanted to have a book. Um, I cannot see every client in the world. I cannot meet everybody in therapy, and actually, a lot of people might not actually want to ever try therapy, or they might be too scared mm-hmm. to. So I wanted to create a tool that would be kind of a bit of a midpoint, a starting point for people where they can understand how to start working on themselves, what is therapy um what does it
0: mean to heal and to find self love um and then that's how we'll talk was born and i love your introduction in your book because you um spoke about how you were also in therapy and um, because therapists need therapy and you spoke about your journey of like oh i cannot wait to get out and and to 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 be healed and when you were talking to your therapist in the introduction you spoke about how you were saying this to your therapist, and your therapist turned around and said, "Well, actually, no, that's not the case. Like, life is a healing journey," um, and I wonder what your like what your thoughts were, or just sharing a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, I guess like in that so in that moment, I was really like feeling emotionally exhausted. Um, so, when you're a therapist, yeah. you usually have to be in therapy throughout your training. So, I was five years deep in therapy and feeling like oh my gosh, I can't wait to be fully healed. So i never have to deal with all this stuff ever again and just live my best life. And yeah, so my therapist said actually no, that's not how it works. We are healing for the whole of our entire lives. There's no end point. You will be more healed tomorrow than you are today. And I think that, yeah, I think it's that thing of realizing that there is no perfect version of you. There is no um, graduation for your therapy or for your healing journey. And I think it's actually also really exciting, you know, it means that I'm always going to be growing and healing and getting to know myself better and better. It's almost like in a romantic relationship, we don't just want to fall in love with someone and be like, we know everything about this person and that's it. We actually want to be growing with this person and and getting to know this person throughout the rest of our lives. And that's how it should be with self-love as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because often, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, is when people come into therapy they are trying to understand themselves they're trying to understand themselves they're trying to make sense of who they are why they present the way that they do and really just going back to like they're in a child or their early um, experiences that have given them certain beliefs that are creating this story of why they keep showing up the way that they do and I wonder like from your own journey what do you think your biggest takeaway was about a story that you had been continuing with or a belief that you were um you had moving forward through life
1: yeah, it's it's really interesting, because I did a post about this before Christmas, and it literally went viral, and is still rolling, I think with like 10 million views, and it's about, um, so for me, I'm the youngest of five, um, and my oldest my older sims are much older than me, mm-hmm. and I had this narrative that I carried of, I have to be the good one. I have to be the one that doesn't make any mistakes that the other ones did. I have to be the trophy child. I have to be the perfect one, you know. And so I carried this kind of perfectionism thing of, I have to be, you know, good at school and good at work and good in my career and good in all these things. And then I guess what that means is that then when things aren't so good or when I fail or when, you know, actually embracing other parts of myself, like the messier parts, I wasn't really allowing myself to go there. Um, So that's kind of, I had to go back to inner child work and I'm picking that need to be the good child or the good student and actually allow myself to be messy, allow myself to like do things that might make me fail. Like I think the year before last I started doing roller skating classes because I was always terrified of it because I knew that I would fall and that is not yeah. a, a good child perfect thing to do so I went back to learning that at the age of 32 um just so I could learn what what is it like to fall and to make a mess and to like not be perfect at
0: something and just enjoy it and find the joy in it. That is so beautiful, Tasha. It really is. It's like really just embracing parts of you, like you said, that you've sort of like shamed away or it's like I can't share these parts of me because they're not good enough or people are going to look at them and judge them. And there's so many people, don't they, who who live life like that, where they limit themselves. They stop themselves from doing things because of what they're worried other people, or how they feel other people are going to judge them. And I wonder, like, what would you say to someone who's struggling, who's struggling with a belief of um, not feeling enough or feeling that they need to follow certain rules to fit in or not to be judged by others?
1: Firstly, have compassion for that side of you that needs to do that, that's come from somewhere very deep, maybe somewhere that's a place of part of you that's had some pain or is Mm -hmm. fearful of rejection. Um, So have compassion for that. Don't be angry at it or mad at it. And then just think about almost brainstorm or map out all the parts of you that Mm. get held back because of that need to be perfect. Yeah. You know, I always want to try roller skating, but I was fearful of it. You know, so there's going to be so many different parts that you're cutting back from yourself, you're snipping away, which actually would bring you so much joy and so much life and so much vitality. So maybe think about what those things could be.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thank you. And it's really interesting when you were talking about your your story and your journey. I'm also one of five, but I'm the second oldest. And the second oldest, I also took on a very similar role of being the good, um, the good child, the good girl, and following this. I need to follow the rules. Better not do anything bad. I need to follow what I need to be doing. And you you follow that pathway, and you follow that. Uh, the choices that no one's told you to do, but you feel you need to be doing them, because if you stray away off this pathway. You feel so bad you feel guilty and i think that that sitting in that guilt is such a horrible feeling that we end up just going down the route of doing what we think we should be doing because it pleases everyone it keeps everyone quiet and it means then that we're almost like in the shadows and no one really sees us but yet we want to be seen and i wonder if that's what you see with your clients when when you work with people who also might be presenting with similar symptoms
1: Absolutely. And it kind of follows them into many different parts of their life. So like, I think I was saying this in the, in the post that I'm talking about, is that it will make you have really poor boundaries at work because you mm, yeah. you, know, you don't want to have a task unfinished because you feel like it's going to make you feel ba- look bad or that it's going to make you feel guilty. Or even when you're dating, you're putting on the very best version of yourself, but it's not the authentic version of yourself. And then we end up in these relationships that are really unfulfilling because we can't actually be ourselves or when we are ourselves, the person that we're with is like, who are you? I don't, I don't, I, you know, this is not who the person that you showed me at the start. So yeah, it can put so many people in sticky positions. And I see that a lot in therapy and a lot of the time in therapy, then it's about creating space for them to be the messier parts and creating space Mm. for them to, you know, practice. What does it feel like to not be perfectionist and to let go a little bit and also to celebrate them when they do that as well.
0: And isn't it beautiful to see people grow and people to step out of that fear where they are even in the therapy session when I I know even with my clients when they first come in and you can see how fearful they are of sharing certain things or saying certain things. But when you offer that safe space and you're not there to judge or shout or criticize, but it's to try and understand what's going on. And as they progress, you just see them blossoming and they come on and they start speaking out and you're like, yes, this is it. And I wonder if you also see that. Absolutely. and I I find that it's really interesting because often as
1: therapists, you see that before the client sees that.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So I've had so many clients where they've done something new or different and then it hasn't gone how they wanted it to go. and And then so they shame themselves for it. And I'm like, mm, but you did it. Yeah. Like it didn't go how you wanted it, but you still stepped out and you did something different. That's incredible. And sometimes you have to, as a therapist, hold that. Yeah, joy and that affirmation for them until they're ready to receive it. Yeah, it's it is a, it's an interesting journey of like seeing this thing that you're so proud of for your client, but they can't see it for themselves
0: yet. And it's beautiful that we are able to reflect that back to them as well and let them know that this is how we see it. This is what what's going on from us, and because they feel safe it allows them to take on board what you're saying. And even if they find it really difficult to compliment, that again opens up another wound there to try. And so therapy is just always ongoing. And there's so much that you can keep taking away um, to just learn and grow from yourself. And I know you do a lot of inner child work. What does that mean? What does inner child work mean?
1: Inner child work is, so we all have an inner child. This inner, And this inner child represents um a lot of our childhood memories mm. or experiences or narratives that we put up about ourselves. our first seven years of life are some of the most impactful years that we will ever have yeah. because that's when our brain is forming we have our first attachments like our parents our family we learn so much about our personality so a lot of our learning of what we know about the world and life comes from those first seven years and a lot of people in therapy they get frustrated when they want to change something about them stuff about themselves or something about the way that they see things and they're frustrated because you know, those first seven years are what are the building bricks. And it's going to take a long time and a lot of practice to get out of those patterns that we learned from those, those seven years. So inner child work is about connecting with that inner child in yourself, You know the young yeah. part of you that maybe has unfinished business or um, pain from the past, connecting with them and embracing them as well. It's not just about healing pain, but also just embracing them into your life.
0: Mm-hmm. So often
1: when I talk to clients about self-care we think about what things was your inner child like to have done like to do right now um so it's keeping that part of yourself connected and also allowing yourself to heal through that younger part of yourself as well
0: and when you talk about inner child do you, is that a majority of the therapy work that you do do you often find inner child work comes into that yeah i think inner child work shows up in
1: so many ways um yeah. so even i was having this conversation on threads how a lot of us choose jobs that might have something to do with writing the child work. So a lot of therapists, even therapists, caring professions, doctors, nurses, if we kind of track back to like their childhood, there usually something mm-hmm. in their story which says that they had to be a caretaker or that they wanted yeah. to be caretaken yeah. more as a kid. So often like our decisions as adults can kind of come from some a seed in the past somewhere. Even when I, you know, I have a client, if I have a client who's arguing with their partner, I often then go and ask them, okay, what was happening for your inner child in that moment? What was being provoked? What was being triggered? And what do you think might have been triggered for your partner as well? Mm. Um, So, yeah, it does come up in a lot of of different ways.
0: Yeah, because we each all, like, we all have an inner child. And sometimes, like, say, if I'm talking to you now and I say something it might also bring something up for your inner child and you say something back and it's then bringing up something for my inner child. And when we have that awareness, it allows us to communicate in a very different way where we may not be reactive or if we notice we're triggered by something, it's taking that time out to journal, reflect. And I know that in your book, you've got some brilliant reflective um, tasks where people can sit down and do more of this work um, by understanding their beliefs and going deeper into making sense of their patterns and why they may present in like a caretaker role or why they may present as like people pleasing or the one who's like showing up and like I've got it all together so what's all that about and when you unpack the layers it sounds like there's a child underneath all of that a child who's screaming out to say something but often we just ignore that child because we found these are the ways of coping is that how it feels from your perspective
1: Absolutely. So there's all those, like I said, all those layers that kind of come yeah. in and that's, yeah, from our inner child, or our past. And yeah, it's about kind of understanding those layers and understanding where they come from, what you needed in those moments that you now are trying to look for as an adult. And the other thing in the child work is, and a client actually taught, taught me this, is it can be really helpful for compassion. Mm, so for example, yeah. I um, once had a client who had kind of, very toxic, difficult relationship with their parent. But actually through trying to make sense of their parents' inner child, help them have a bit more compassion and understanding for the relationship. Um, and yeah. You know, the kind of underlying things that were making it feel so toxic between her and her, her mum. Yeah, having that kind of thought about not just your inner child, but also somebody else's, and if you yeah. know a bit of their story it can be quite helpful to kind of make an understanding of what's happening in your relationship with them as well.
0: It's like that deeper compassion, isn't it? Of like, I'm not just seeing someone here react or shut down. There may be something going on and if, not with everyone, but with certain people, you can continue that conversation to try and understand um, if it's your partner, if it's your siblings or a a really good friend, you might want to go further into trying and then I just think there's a really beautiful connection that can come from that yeah absolutely yeah do you ever get clients though that come in and be like but my childhood was perfect like I didn't have anything wrong or I didn't have anything that was going on I, I, it's got nothing to do with my childhood do you often get that yeah absolutely like there's and there's so many reasons why that happens
1: yeah one reason is it could be a defense it could be like I don't want to go there my childhood was great that's not even there's nothing to touch there, that's just stay with the present, so it's kind of a self protection. So there's that, or there's like just a lack of awareness or mm. not knowing what I think. A lot of time people think of trauma and they think very big, yeah, yeah, big scary things. And sometimes trauma isn't just you know what we assume it is, it could be small things, it could be. Or small things that happen frequently, for example, like a parent who never shows up to parents evening to, to mm. or never shows up to any of your, you know, personal accomplishments and stuff like that. Like that can also be traumatic because you're feeling a sense of emotional neglect, which is trauma. Um, so a lot of the time I find it's people are not aware of what, you know. A difficult childhood means yeah. or maybe it's not about having a difficult childhood but it's having a childhood that lacked some things or lacked some ingredients um obviously children need um safety and shelter yeah. and food but they also need consistent love and emotional safety you know having a parent mm. that they can be open with and that they can talk about their feelings with and actually a lot of people didn't have that especially you yeah. think of the older generations we emotional and not emotional love but having conversations about mental health and emotions yeah. wasn't very common 50 years ago yeah and so yeah a lot of people i think they don't realize what that question really means
0: and when you also speak about the defense it's also people will try and protect their parents or they'll say no no no!" like uh, my parents are are brilliant and Yeah, they they may be brilliant, um, but there may be also other things that your inner child perhaps didn't get that you're not even aware of. So often you feel that defense that can come out and people can like, no, 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 I don't want to go there. But I think that's also about building up the trust and letting them know that you're not here to blame their parents. You're not here to point fingers, but it's for you to make sense and to give you a level of understanding about how your inner child has developed into where you are right now yeah and no person
1: is perfect so even if you're like my mum was amazing she was always there for me she's one person and she can't fulfill every single need that you had as a child so there's going to be something that maybe you wish she was more there for you for or there's going to be something that even even if you feel like she was always Mm -hmm. there for me blah, blah blah it might mean that you might reserve things in yourself because you I don't know you might have guilt about bringing too much to burden her and, yeah. you know there's so there's so many different parts of it and it's just about remembering that no no person is perfect and there's always going to be light and shade yeah.
0: and it's important to embrace both of those parts as well that's beautiful and also like being a sensitive child like when you're sensitive and you pick up on things Um, I remember growing up and you'd know that oh your parents might be stressed out with something or something's going on here you then didn't want to be a burden or you didn't want to add more to that so then you made the choice to okay i'll just be good or i'll just carry on this and i'll just do this well you didn't want to get in trouble so you would make your own rules up about how you felt that you needed to behave so maybe it's got nothing to do with like oh mom and dad not being there it's more of like how did we perceive the situation through our sensitivity as well so with therapy there's layers and layers and layers just to to work through to really understand how you used to show show up and how you still might be showing up presenting in that same way
1: and also you know you can also even add the layer of culture in there as well yeah yeah, so I grew up in a a British Jamaican family so that's going to have another layer of yeah we don't talk about feelings we don't do that that's just we just crack
0: on you know, yeah. and put it under the carpet, shove it under the carpet, it's and it's not there. Even if you trip over it, it's not there. You don't talk about it, just get back up and carry on. And you definitely don't talk to other
1: people about the family or about your feelings, Never do that. So you're going to carry those, like, even if it wasn't specifically said to you, you're going to see that within your family and you're going to carry yeah. those lessons. And that in itself is something that needs to be unpacked and healed through.
0: Yeah. And in your book, you wrote something really interesting, which says, Whatever we don't address becomes a mess. And I wonder what you meant by that when you wrote that.
1: Yeah, I guess it goes back to this thing of, you know, if we have experienced trauma or lack mm. or the suffering we didn't receive as a kid or even as an adult, you know, we might go into relationships that are traumatic or difficult. Even though it's not our fault that those things happen, yeah. we do have to take accountability for healing through those things. So as, you know, for example, if you're going through a breakup, you have to give yourself the, the space and the time to heal and to work through the pain that was left behind before you can move on to something else. Otherwise, it's just gonna spin into your next relationship and your next one and yeah. your next one. So it's about almost like, just like a physical wound, you need to attend to it, you need to take care of it, you need to give it whatever it needs, give it nourishment, give it nurture, mm-hmm. find out where the pain is, allow it to heal, and then that is giving, that t- that giving it that time to process.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think even when you're um, speaking there about like understanding um, just the things that may have happened as a child and how that continues to show up, you spoke earlier about actually it can leak out into your relationships, but it can also leak out into like work side of things, it can leak out with friends. So if you're the caretaker, for example, and you've learned to look after everyone else and make sure that everyone else is all okay... You will keep going and in all of your relationships, you'll be the one who's not really seen, but the one who's there for everyone else, there for everyone else. And you might struggle to be vulnerable or to share your emotions. Mm -hmm. But that then might also play out in the working environment where you're constantly just like doing everything for everyone. And then you're compromising your time in the evenings. Like I've seen that with um, certain people where in the evenings they're working till late because they've said yes to things or people have just learned to give it to them. Because people learn, don't they, how to treat you based on how you are or what you're allowing and what you're tolerating from others. And I wonder if you also see that it plays out not just in work, in relationships with friends, but also like romantic partners as well. Absolutely. And
1: I think that's where like, that's the point where people come to therapy is when it's all become a mess rather than, you know, before when actually the, the trauma or the pain has begun. It's more like when all the things are then kind of created into this kind of messy thing and then you're having to then, unpack okay where is this coming from where did this start oh it's here and probably here and probably here but yeah absolutely it links into our friendships our relationships our work how we feel about ourselves how we feel about our body how Mm. we um you know look after our bodies even yeah it kind of rolls into this kind of yeah this mess and then you have to start picking how do I solve this how do I work through this and where is it coming from
0: and that's like the next bit isn't it it's like when people come into therapy space they don't leave the same person. And I know that that sometimes frightens people because they, they say, I don't want my life to change, but I, I do want these 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 different things. I want to feel in a peace. I want to feel happy. I want to feel um content. And it's like, okay, right. And when you start working through things with them, they realize actually they may not be in the job that they thought they wanted to be. Their friends may not be able to meet their needs. Um, they, they question their partner. And I'm sure there's studies as well. I remember reading some studies that, people that enter therapy, and they have a or they're in a relationship, they often I don't know what the percentage is, I need to double check that. But there's a percentage of people that will leave that relationship because they learn, actually, that's not for me. And that's not what's going on for me. Um, and it doesn't feel right for me. So it's really powerful. Therapy is a really powerful space in learning so much about you that you might even be questioning when you leave or during the during the process. Is this even the relationship I want to be in? So it's, it's it's big stuff, isn't it? Yeah. It's, this is really... I'm not
1: sure if this metaphor is going to make sense, but when you are saying that, I was just thinking about how therapy is almost like holding a mirror up. Yeah. Normally, when you're walking through life, you're just looking forward. But when you have the mirror up, you can see all the stuff behind you that you're often not addressing. And I think that's where that comes in with like the relationships. That Yeah, a lot of people do end up having to make decide to themselves, actually, this relationship not, is not right for me, but having yeah. therapy as a mirror there actually allow them to see the truth of what was going on in the relationship and what they des- actually deserve and what they should actually have in a relationship and that their current one isn't meeting those needs so yeah, it's, it can be really revealing and enlightening but also yeah confronting and challenging as well
0: yeah lots of different emotions that can come up because I remember when um I did my um my thesis and I was looking at my research the research that I focused more on was how Um, our interpersonal relationships change when we go into therapy because there was a lot of research already into romantic relationships but not into our family or our friends so when I started researching this I really found the key thing was self-awareness so when we become more self-aware it changes the dynamics and the people that we are around and it's not that we change people sometimes it's just changing that dynamic a bit where we may have said yes 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 all the time and then we might say actually I'm I'm not able to make it at this point or I can't do this or I can't do that. And not everyone will be okay with that. But if you're able to have them conversations, great. But not everyone will be okay and sometimes that's where we have to choose to like close the door or, or leave it unlocked because it might open again. But I think there's a real grief and a real loss with that as well. Do would you agree with that? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Not... When you've kind of lived a life of not having boundaries, when you suddenly have boundaries, not everybody's going to like it because they can no longer benefit from it. But that doesn't mean that you should then compromise and allow them to have what they had before. Um, but yeah, that does mean that you then have to grieve, potentially yeah. grieve a relationship that once was. But knowing that that relationship wasn't taking care of you as a person, actually you was taking care of it, but it wasn't. you wasn't seeing anything back. So yeah it's there's some hard decisions that you have to make once you're when you're in therapy and when you're working towards self-love and healing and looking after yourself
0: yeah i see a bit like um you're going through life like with the blinkers like the with the with the horse they they have the blinkers so you're walking through life like that and then you come to therapy and the blinkers come off and you start to see everything all over again and you're just like this is everything that's been happening i can't believe this and then you may get feelings of like resentfulness or anger frustration and happiness joy because you're connecting with different parts of you so it's just a whirlwind of different emotions but you're learning to sit in them you're learning to regulate them and as you wrote right at the beginning of your book this is an ongoing journey because different things keep coming up that will keep bringing things up for you and it's to sit with these big emotions that once upon a time you you locked away how does that like would you agree with that
1: yeah absolutely and I think that there I was just thinking about there's a bit of a probably probably what I'm naming as well in that first example in my book and I think a lot of us have is that this hope when we think of self-love and healing that it's going to be this like lovely fluffy journey of like bubble baths and face masks and living our best lives but actually it's also it comes from a lot of difficult decisions and having to make very difficult changes and having to confront things that aren't very comfortable um Mm. so there's kind of this two sides of self-love or you know even with in inner child stuff I say that there's kind of two parts there's inner child work and then there's inner child play and mm. yes we can do all the things that our inner child used to love to do and connect with them that way but we also have to do the hard work of healing through the stuff that we had to shut down when we were kids kid or had to shut down yeah. when we were a teenager and that's really going to be a lot sort of anger and tearfulness and frustration and lots of other difficult feelings too.
0: When you say p- there's a difference between play and work, is that the main difference? Like play is like really stepping into the inner child and allowing yourself to, to be, and that's the release, the fun, the joy. Um, but the other side is the work, and that's where, what's the work side? So the work
1: side is, I guess, looking at the unfinished business and looking yep. at the yep. heels that haven't been, the hills? The, the wounds that haven't been healed before. Yeah, it's kind of like they both go hand in hand, and they're both necessary. So for example, someone who's a perfectionist Mm -hmm. really need to embrace the inner child play because that will allow them to let go and allow them to, yeah, find joy outside of structure and control and and into, like, Mm -hmm. just other things. But then they also need to do do the work of understanding where does the perfectionism come from and who needed me to be a perfectionist when I was younger and why did I need to Mm -hmm. be a perfectionist when I was younger? What would I lose if I wasn't? And that can be very confronting and difficult.
0: And what's the common theme um, that you normally notice comes up for people like that aren't able to let go of this perfect like where does where does where does it come from i think it often comes from having um quite a
1: strong inner critic maybe Mm -hmm. or experiences where we were strongly criticized or shamed or embarrassed um made feel like a burden and then we carry that feeling we carry that narrative with us and do anything that we can to avoid it yeah. And often that is through trying to be controlling over things or trying to be perfect at things, trying to be good. Yeah, that's that's
0: often what I see. Because even when we talk about um, perfectionism, people-pleasing, um, and we talk about like that, there's this control over it, that I need to be or I need to look a certain way. I don't want people to not see me in this way. It's that fear of judgment, of people are going to see that I'm not in control, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy and we don't know what people are thinking but yet that's the the story that we tell ourselves so we may be very hyper vigilant and we're looking so me and you are talking now and I might see that you've made a certain expression and I'm like oh stop talking now because you're boring Tasha like just carry it. but I've made that choice and I've based that on what I'm seeing rather than me being able to communicate that hey I just noticed this is everything okay or, or is this conversation something that you, you you're interested in so it gives a chance for me to understand if that's what I'm what I'm actually think what what what's really going on for you rather than me assuming and running off with a thought but that judgment that fear of judgment it's it's huge isn't it In how how much power we give to what we think people might be thinking about us mm-hmm. and the impact that has in our everyday choices our behaviors and the way that or, or The doors that we choose to knock on, because of that background noise of "what if, what if, what if, what if," or "what they're going to say, what they're going to say," and I wonder how you um, like you work with clients with that. I think it's interesting because um, one of the things is that with that we're
1: focusing on our viewpoint is on the other person rather than ourselves. Yeah. So when I'm working with clients, I kind of bring it back to them. So Mm -hmm. what again, what parts of yourself are you leaving out by focusing on this, like, this other person? What, or, like, you know, what do you think about that? Or what do you yeah. want to happen with that? What what would you, like, what do you think? You know, if, for example, if a client is always looking for compliments from their partner, I'll say, what mm-hmm. did you think of yourself in that outfit? What did you yeah. think of that lip colour? What did you like about it? What did you not like about it? And bringing it back to them. And also just, like, noticing when, kind of, critical language comes up as well like things like shoulds and yeah I should have yeah. done this and I I wish I'd done that and it's not good enough and noticing those things and almost helping them reframe and, and think about where does that should come from and actually let's rebalance it what did you like what did you enjoy what are you mm. proud of um so that we can kind of bring in I think I talk I call it the what do I call it in the book the inner fairy godmother um, oh, that's so, beautiful. Yeah, so bringing like the, the more nurturing, loving part, yeah. and that might even include you know in in the book I've got a, a exercise where I say to the readers to think about a character or a person who, for you, feels like a very warm and nurturing um, godparent, like a fairy godmother. Yeah. And that might be, you know, for me, I think of Angela Bassett because I just feel like she'd be an amazing godmother. Um, And I just think, okay, what would Angela Bassett say to me, you know, if I'm feeling low, what would she say in this situation? How would she give me words of encouragement? Or it might be someone that you know, it might be a natural grandparent that you had or Mm. a neighbour or whoever, someone that gives you that warmth and gives you a different perspective
0: that you can... See, someone that comes into my mind is Yoda. I'm like, Yoda, I've got Yoda.
1: (laughs) And then you can internalise Yoda I'd be yeah. like okay now that's part of my voice my voice not just my inner critic but also i've got this inner yoda voice that is also giving me that encouragement and give me a more balanced view of how i am or or how i perceived
0: yeah yeah it's almost like what you said at the beginning which is holding a mirror up. you're holding this mirror up to individuals and you're saying hey look what did you think of this rather than looking outwards it's like no but what did you think of this and what did you and it's it's that real deeper work that we do in the therapy space which is holding that mirror up and letting people know what we see but also for them to see it for them to have the space to look at themselves and really understand what's going on
1: yeah yeah beautiful that's that's reminding me of like i, I so my original training is work with children and young people and um, by now actually only work with adults because i just love i think that we all have an in child anyway yeah. but i remember yeah. once working with a girl who had very negative view about her body and there was one time when she asked me to draw a picture of her so she she drew a picture of herself and I drew a picture of her and then we compared the pictures and it's really interesting to for her because she got to see that you know how she viewed her body was very negative and very Mm. yeah very negative and very critical and then how I viewed her body was very different and it gave her a different perspective And she was like oh is that really how you see me I was like yeah, I mean, I'm not the best drawer, but this is a, this is kind of a representation. And it just gave her a different viewpoint to go and di- digest and to think about and to question her own viewpoint as well.
0: Yeah, and this is why therapy is so beautiful. It's not that we're biased because we're both therapists. It's, it's more so the changes and the subtle changes it can bring up for people and just the tools that it gives people moving forward in their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You've got something else in your book in Chapter 6. And your chapter six is all about what holds us back. And you started off with a quote, which is the more we've been hurt, the stronger our armor. And I wonder what you meant by that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so um, I guess when we've been through pain or through trauma, the first thing that we tend to do is find a way to protect ourselves. It's our kind of yeah. human instinct because it's like the whole thing of like, I've been hurt and I've I'm never, I'm, I never want that to happen ever again. And Often the way that we protect ourselves is by creating a shield. Um, And that might be, for example, if we've had a come out of a relationship, we might say like, I'm never going to another relationship
0: Mm. or
1: I'm never going to a relationship with this kind of person again or I'm just going to be single. We we say these things and we protect ourselves in that way. But the problem is it also blocks us from finding a different result somewhere else. So if you say, Mm. I'm never going to have a relationship again, you could find the love of your life but you've cut yourself away from that experience. So yeah. you're never gonna experience that. So yeah, these shields are there to protect us. Um, they come from our ego. Um, our mm. ego doesn't want to be hurt. It doesn't want to be vulnerable. So it will do whatever it can to keep us yeah, protected and safe. Yeah. But yeah. it's not yeah. really safe. It's just more maybe hidden, hiding our vulnerability.
0: Yeah. And when people have that safety, so that safety of like, say they've been hurt, they've been in a relationship, they've been um, they've been hurt, they're, they're heartbroken, and they're like, right, that's it, I'm never going to date again, or I'm never going to be in a relationship again. How does someone overcome that safety mechanism now? Because they've experienced pain. It's like touching the radiator and burning your hand, and you're like, I'm never going to ever going to touch a hot radiator again. Mm-hmm. But how would you tell someone or work with someone who has that very strong belief and that very strong sort of like, um, I'm not going to do this again. How how would you work with someone like that? I
1: think it's about reframing and thinking about what is safe. So even when you said that about mm-hmm. the hot radiator, I'm not going to touch a hot radi- radiator again, you could then reassess it and be like, okay, I can h- touch a re- hot radiator, but maybe not, you know, directly. Maybe I'll put my hand near it or maybe yeah. I'll touch it for yeah. a second or maybe I'll do it when the heating's low. So you're thinking about what are the conditions that need to be in place for it to be safe for me. So mm. for example, if it's like, I never want to have a relationship again, it might be, okay, instead of that, what do I need in place to think about having a, a relationship? You know, when we'll would time. I feel safe enough to have a relationship or who would I want to date or what would be important for me in a relationship if I do get into one that I've learned Mm. my last one. It was about kind of reassessing and almost using, you know, whatever happened before, using that as data to kind Mm. of figure out what do I need next.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's like research and experience, isn't it? It's like, right. Okay. If you've had three, four of these relationships where, Um, the same thing keeps happening what is it that's going on there for you what's happening and it's like really trying to use that as research but then have it as like your experience of like okay that's my experience but moving forward it becomes your wisdom so when you're entering relationships so actually last time when i touched the hot radiator i just went straight for it but this time i know it's going to burn me Mm -hmm. so let me slowly just work my way towards it to make sense of, like, how far can I get to it before I get burnt again? You yeah, it's like a learning experience, isn't it? It's like how we, we learn and we grow. And I suppose that goes back to your first quote is whatever we don't learn from, it will become a mess. It will, be, it will show up in our lives in so many different ways. Yeah. And sometimes people have to be ready, don't they, to come into therapy. They have to be ready yeah. to be like, I'm fed up of this now. I need some support.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes people think that they're ready and they're actually not. And that's yeah. OK as well. You might go in yeah. for a couple of sessions, be like, actually, I'm not ready to address all this stuff. Let me come back at another point. And that's OK. And it's about, like I guess, allowing yourself to pace yourself and to think about what do I have in place that's going to hold me? Because therapy yeah. is, yes, it's great. And yes, it's reflective. And you're going to learn so much about yourself, but it can also be really unraveling and you know in my when I've worked with children I will often have to explain to the parents that it's probably going to get worse before it gets better because yeah, as yeah. soon as I start to allow kids a space to think about their authentic feelings it's going to spill out into other places in their life and then the parents are going to be like oh my gosh Billy's crying all the time or Billy's having a tantrum yes because he's addressing his his real authentic yeah. feelings so now my mm. work is to help you hold that as well so yeah, it's it's gonna feel a bit worse, as in more vulnerable, more messy, more there be more tears, more anger, more envy. All those uncomfortable feelings are gonna to come to the surface because you've been pushing it down for so long, yeah, but you need yeah. to in order to get to the next place.
0: Yeah, yeah, and even when you were talking just there, I think. People often, um, it's not just like with parents. I also see it with, um, like, say if someone's coming into therapy and they're in a relationship with someone or they've got their family at home, and they might feel like okay i'm coming into therapy and i'm going but how do i now communicate to them that this is what's important to me and this is more of my need like how do i share that with them mm-hmm. um so they also understand rather than me trying to slam the door because i'm annoyed that they're making me do something or if i'm if i'm just getting angry and, and knocking something instead of being able to speak about it it's like there's different ways of doing it so i think it's it's not it's like a ripple effect it doesn't just um, stop in the therapy space. It's a ripple effect of all the different parts in your life.
1: Absolutely.
0: And chapter nine is boundaries. And in chapter nine, your quote that you start off with is, "We can't nourish someone else if we're malnourished ourselves." What does that mean?
1: It means that I guess it's the thing of like you can't pour from yeah. an empty cup. You can't yeah. you can't give people your energy and your love and your nourishment. If you haven't started with yourself first, you know, you should always, I always say, start the morning with yourself and then give for the rest of the day if you need to or want to. But yeah, you, you can't deplete yourself trying to help others because it's going to exhaust you emotionally and physically. And yeah, I think, I think as humans, sometimes we think we're invincible or that we, you know, especially if you're a people pleaser or if you're, used to be and i don't know the eldest daughter and giving to everybody you can think that you're invincible and that everybody needs you but also you and your body need you too
0: Mm.
1: and it means that you know if we're trying to pour from an empty cup or 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 nourish people when we're not nourish ourselves our body is not going to thank us for it our body is going to be absolutely stressed and tired and illnesses will show up and immune systems will be low and, yeah. and you know it's it's about looking after ourselves uh, continuously
0: yeah and i often hear that i like i'll hear of like i'm exhausted i'm burnt out i'm just tired of it i just want it to go away i just i just want to stop um thinking and ruminating about all these different things and it's only then you start to understand hang on how are you actually self-caring yourself because you're so busy doing this and doing this and doing this and it's almost like being on that hamster wheel of like go 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 and Mm -hmm. they get to that point where it's like i can't continue like this anymore because it's it's impacting on me Mm -hmm. and it's only then they they come off this um sort of hamster wheel and start looking at what did this serve me me going on this hamster wheel go 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 and also me coming off now how can i implement self can initially it can feel really bad like you you can feel very bad like oh i'm just doing nothing, like I'm just going to sit here and watch the TV, I'm just going to do this, like it can feel, um, or it can bring up emotions of guilt because someone else has asked you to do something and you've said no for the first time and that can bring up a big feeling. Do you often see that with clients?
1: Yeah, because it could often be like, how dare I think about myself? (laughs) Yeah. And actually, if you don't think about yourself, how can you expect anybody else to do that as well? You know, you can't expect someone else to set your boundaries for you you're the keeper of your own boundaries and of course it's going to be guilt if you've never had to exercise boundaries or if you grew up with very rigid boundaries in your family or very leaky boundaries in your family you're going to feel a guilt when you then implement your own boundaries because it does it feel comfortable when you didn't feel comfortable when you received those boundaries or didn't receive those boundaries? If that makes sense, yeah, yeah. So I think yeah, it's very normal to feel guilt. Guilt often comes when we need to make a change, and this is the change that you need to make um, for yourself. I love it.
0: Yeah, absolutely love it. And I was I was watching something the other day, and someone um spoke about how um when you're on a flight and you're about to go up, um the air hostess will start talking, and he's like, that's the most important part of the flight because you are getting free life advice, but everyone is busy doing something. Someone will be on their phone. Someone will be um, chatting away. Mm -hmm. And it's like what the air hostesses say is when the oxygen mask comes down, make sure you put it on yourself first, Mm -hmm. even if it's your kids, even if it's like your people that you love, like make sure it's on yourself first, then you start assisting everyone else. And I suppose in a way that's what um, boundaries is all about is being able to um, look after yourself first so you can be there for others, But if you're giving out, giving out, giving out constantly, constantly, constant, like what's left in your cup to give to yourself, there's nothing there. And that's when then you're left feeling tired, exhausted, frustrated, resentful, because you're like, what about me? Mm -hmm. But no one's going to put you forward unless you don't put yourself forward. Right. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And there are so many different types of boundaries as well. You know, there is like financially, you know, if you're giving out too much money or giving out stuff or your personal space or emotionally or. Yeah, even like borrowing things. Like there's so many different boundaries and yeah. there might be some that you feel like, oh, I'm really good at that. But there's some that you might be neglecting as well. So yes, I think boundaries are such an important thing. We we learn about boundaries when we're like two years old and we say no, no, no to yeah. our parents constantly. But then somewhere down the line, we forget how to say no or we're too scared to say no. And mm-hmm. we lose. Yeah, we lose our no. And I think boundaries is about reclaiming that and also thinking about that there are other ways to protect our self as well when we don't set boundaries we end up feeling very resentful of people and resentment takes up a lot of energy and yeah do what you can to to not go into that place of resentment
0: yeah and resentment is often like people coming into your space but you may be someone who is very mindful of others but that doesn't necessarily mean other people are going to be the same and Often people um if you don't speak out and let the other person know how you're feeling, they may not know how you're feeling. So they're gonna keep if you're just keep giving things out, people are gonna keep taking. Yeah. You're like, Why are they taking it? Yeah. Do they know that I'm exhausted? Don't they know I'm tired? And it's like, No, they don't know because you're not telling them. Yeah. Um so there's another part of that which is learn to speak out and communicate what's going on before the bottle gets too full and it's like Bleh, everything comes out um because you've you've had enough and you're fed up of everything.
1: Yeah. It's like, you know, if you're in the supermarket and they're giving out free samples, of course, you're going to go like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. It's the same thing in your life. If you're giving free samples of your love and of your energy, then people are going to keep taking it until you're completely depleted. and There's nothing left,
0: even for yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Tasha, mm-hmm. your book, how long has it been out now? Since September 28th. So it's been
1: yeah. two, yeah, three months, maybe two, three months.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful book. And as I said, I know that it takes you through a journey of like what therapy is, but also a journey of your inner self and really understanding your inner child. And you also use shadows, um, your shadow self you refer to. What does that, what does the shadow self mean?
1: Yeah, so shadow self is, it's almost like this part of ourselves. It's almost like in your, in your house, everybody has this one room or cupboard that you throw everything in that you don't want to deal with. You know, or, your, or the basement. So it's basically all the things that you don't want to deal with in yourself or the things that you don't want to claim within yourself and you throw it into the shadows so that you, have, you don't have to look at it because it's behind you. So for example, if you're a perfectionist, like I said earlier, it's all the messy bits. It's all the the things that you might you, think that you might fail at, the things that might not look, look good to other people. You mm. put it in there. The problem with that is it's going to pile up and it's going to, in a way, control you yeah or show up in ways that you can't control so so if you try to think of an example yeah i can't think of an example but yeah it's it's that's kind of what the shadow is and how,
0: yeah, i think you said i think you said it beautifully is like there's a part of you that you've just thrown it into the cupboard and you don't want to look at it so if something keeps knocking up like for example if you're getting fed up maybe of um people keep taking from you is there something else that's going on in your shadow self? Is that what you mean by that? Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. And like oh, yeah. Carl Jung says how um basically the, the only way to kind of live a fulfilling life is to embrace your shadow, essentially. Yeah. You can't lock it, you can't lock it away, you can't cut it off, you have to embrace it. Mm. Um, so for example, like I said before about roller skating, I don't like the idea of falling. I don't like anything that holds mm. me publicly feeling embarrassed or publicly failing but then I missed out on the joy yeah. of roller skating and then I you know by connecting with that I was allowing myself to then feel that joy and to feel that kind of freedom that comes with roller skating but there were other things like you know someone's sexuality they might cut off parts of their sexuality because they're fearful of what society will think or what their friends would think or what their family would think yeah. then it means that they, they can't be their authentic selves because they're then cutting off a very part, important part of their identity. Even as a black woman, like, you know, they're, 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 a black woman in Britain, it means that maybe sometimes there's rooms that I go into where nobody else looks like me. And so I might mm-hmm. unconsciously cut off parts of the way that I speak, my East, my East London accent. Like there's certain things that I might do that I put it into the shadow, but then that can be my real true self. Um, and yeah. so it's about how do I make sure that I'm bringing my East London accent into those rooms and how do I ensure that I just am myself, I'm wearing my natural hair, like what are the things that make me me that I make sure that I bring with me that rather than put them into the shadow because so they don't belong to be there.
0: Yeah. So do you think it's self-awareness and fear? Those are the two tools that you need to be able to help you make sense of it. So fear being understanding like the fear because fear is a thing that's keeping your, um is keeping the Shadows self away and then you've got the awareness which is you understanding ah I noticed I've just done that now what's, what's going on there
1: yeah and I think maybe also maybe it's risk-taking as well because mm. you can be aware of it and you can know where the fear is coming from but then you still have to make the step of bringing it out into the light and taking it out of the cupboard yeah So it's kind of that bravery of allowing yourself to take the risk of showing those parts of yourself and maybe doing it first with people that you feel really comfortable with, that you feel will really understand you and see you, and then bringing it to other places in your life as
0: well. Yeah, no, how beautiful is that? It's like when we show up at being our authentic self without that fear of, I need to fit in, I need to just present myself, because if I don't, I'm worried about what's going to happen. And it's like when you stop worrying about that side and just allow yourself to show up as you are, mm-hmm. there's a real beauty with that, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like you said, and you wrote this in your book as well, is like you continue just shining as you are um, if you allow yourself to step into that authenticity. Absolutely. Um, so, Tasha, mm-hmm. I've got, um for anyone that wants to see this, Um, If it's uh, on the video, here it is. It's Real Talk and it's by Tasha Bailey and the cover is beautiful. So go and check that out. Um, But also, before we end any sort of podcast, there's always this one question. And I don't know if you know what the question is. But the question is, do you think that life is fair? Oh, I love people's responses to this.
1: Do I think that life
0: is fair
1: I don't think life is fair. Mm. Um I think
0: oh, this is such an interesting question. It's a really interesting question, isn't it? It gets people to really think about it. Like, oh, like I don't know because I do, but I don't, and like you can get sort of stuck in it. I don't think life is fair
1: in terms of, you know, just thinking about and I talk about this in one of the chapters in the book around identities yeah. and and social justice, of like there are so many different intersections in the world, and yeah. each person in each intersection will have a different experience of the world, and mm. will be treated treated by the world differently. So there's yeah. that bit that which is isn't isn't fair because there's some people that have a lot of privilege and some that some some that have absolutely not. Yeah. So there's that perspective, but there's also things like um, trauma and pain show up in different ways, with in different places, in different times of our life, and. In some areas of the world more than others, like there's there's that sense as well, which also isn't fair. Yeah. But I think what is fair
0: about life? Yeah. Yeah. See how it just brings up layers and layers and layers. Yeah. Maybe I think what is fair...
1: Okay, this is what it is. So life itself Mm -hmm. isn't fair. It says external life isn't fair. But what is fair is that we all have the capacity Mm -hmm. to heal through whatever we're dealt or whatever we're we're given our body and our brain is incredible for healing trauma. And so what is fair is that we all have that vessel, that, that tool to heal if we can get the right support and environment around us.
0: That is beautiful. That is absolutely, because we're not, we're not told or we're not given, um, uh, choices of where we're going to be born and and how or with who and what environment mm. but what we do have I suppose are like different choices to move forward and knowing that we have our physical body we've got our brain and being able to do things with that yeah yeah thank you thank you that's a juicy question. <laughs> We like to end with that. It just keeps your, your mind um, mind young because we're just like, what? Hang on one minute. Let me just get that. Um, but I just want to say thank you again um, for making time and, and coming into this because I think it's really important that people get to hear more about you, understand more about um, what it is that you do and understand the therapy space, but also the different strategies that we tend to use in therapy and deep diving into more of the inner child as well. So I appreciate you sharing that.
1: No, no worries at all. Thank you for having me and for yeah letting me bring this kind of part of therapy.
0: And if people wanted to get in contact with you, how would they get in contact with you?
1: So you can find me on uh, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Substack, as Will Talk Therapist, um, where I share lots of free uh, mental health tips. And well-being stuff. And also you can find me through my book. We'll talk um lessons from therapy in self-love and healing
0: or healing and self-love. Yeah. And I will make sure that there's a copy of that, like a link attached to the podcast episode as well. So thank you very much. And we will see you on the next episode. Yay. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.